Welcome, bienvenue to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is the show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rentz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we are developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. Just long enough to record this record this podcast to see TGFBI league assignments. That is right. I'm in league 18. I think you're in league 11. These are this is a big assortment of people this year. There are a lot, a lot of leagues. This is going to be really fun to parse the like draft data, ADP, ADPs across these different leagues. You know. This is going to be fun. We have so much data. It's 20, 20 leagues overall. 20, 15 nice. team leagues. That's that a is. lot of data. A lot of data. And FPC, have you got your <laughs> have you got your account set up yet? The problem is, yeah, well, yes, I do, but I have <laughs> I've really restricted myself from going there too frequently Uh-oh. because man, do I want to bet on things. <laughs> there's yeah it's uh it's like walking a child through the checkout aisle in a grocery store (laughs) all the candy is right at their eye level Ooh, ooh, what could i bet on Ooh, (laughs) that is that is exactly how i feel i completely agree with that so not michael in a candy store it's michael in the checkout aisle of a grocery (sighs) store or target preferably target yeah I found or listed a couple of MLB moves. These are real world beater moves. Um, want to get your quick take on them? How about this? How about this hot one, Mike? Wade Miley to Houston. <laughs> it's, the thing that is that now we're in like such a boring phase. Like, please, Bryce Harper, man, even try to do something so we can figure it out. I mean, now I'm at a, a point where I'm looking at. I we finished our projections like we'll talk about in a second and so every time somebody moves I'm like oh where do they fall in the projections let me just tell you Wade Miley is currently 358 and I don't see this move move, catapulting him upwards I mean it's more likely that he could be a bullpen arm right all right Rayel Muto to the Los Angeles Dodgers is that is that right I mean he actually is somebody who could be relevant even though you know, I think we both agree that you shouldn't take a catcher until late. Ever. I mean, preferably. Just, just have a hole in your lineup. Preferably never. <laughs> how long How long did you go without a catcher last year? A couple weeks? A couple weeks, yeah. That is something. So I guess we, we both collectively don't care about that. I feel obligated to care about the Martin Perez one. Aha! Here we go. So I... <laughs> For the uh, listener edification, I separated these into the maybe someone cares about. Um, could they maybe be people that we've talked about in the last five years in fantasy? And, and they then definitely the, cares about. And they definitely do not care about. <laughs> um, yeah, so we have Martin Perez to Minnesota. Meh. Freddie Galvis to Toronto. Meh. Neil Walker to Miami. 
<laughs> and then Sean Kelly to Tejas. I don't see any of these being impactful. As a matter of fact, we don't even make, I didn't even make projections for any of them. <laughs> any of them. Wow. Sean Kelly really burned me two years ago. We will get to talking about closers. But before we talk about closers, and specifically, let me just say what we're going to talk about this week. Projections. Love it. So we have the Rough Rough Draft Projections. It is up, actually. You can go to our website and see it, or go to one of the, the, one of the project pages and see it. So we're going to talk about that. In the first half, we're going to talk about a little bit of the construction of it. Second half, we'll talk about some specific projections and see what we can do. So here we go fantasy-tools.github.io slash project3 and you'll find these <laughs> love that uh, <laughs> very informative we'll try and get the link out there in a little bit better way I think I think it's it's close to time to retitle this this is almost a real thing not just project3 anymore so we've been talking about this for a little while here using our clustering algorithm work to help inform projections and um we did have a little bit of a little bit of coding over the weekend a codeathon maybe um stealing ips and uh plate appearances to try to help inform our um <laughs> inform our projections so that they're going to be somewhere near the regular ones so what wow. do you think First of all, somewhere near the regular ones. Okay, let's take a step back and let me tell you exactly what else we did. So the reason that plate appearances and innings pitched were so critical is because we clustered on rates. So we classify players on the rate that they're doing, that they're accumulating certain statistics. So on the hitting side, it's home runs per plate appearance, hits per plate appearance, stolen bases per plate appearance, RBIs, runs, all per plate appearance. On the pitching side, it's all the pitching categories over innings pitched. So it's hits over innings pitched, home runs, walks, strikeouts, earned runs per innings pitched. So in order to actually scale these to real, to projected values, we needed plate appearances and innings pitched. And that's where Eric came in. All right, so I went to... Fangraphs did a little scrapey scrape of their projections that they make public. Zips, get your act together. Um, stole the batter projections and the pitcher projections, and then did just a mean across the platforms for each one of those those stats. And that'll help. I mean, that helps take some of. Um, we've done a lot of machine learning, a lot of statistical analysis. We haven't that cannot take into account the um, the injuries that we forecast yep. for the year. Yep. That cannot take into account the player changes for different teams, et cetera. So this is going to be really good, uh, a good way to, um, you know, add in a little bit, a little bit more information. Yeah, I really like this too. It is a way to make some more information because all of our projections otherwise are informed by what's happened in the past in the MLB only, so there's no forward-looking projection. So, for instance, guys that were in the minors last year but are going to get a shot at the MLB this year, we don't have any way to quantify that. Or guys that were in the MLB last two years ago were hurt last year, 
our projections would would have downweighted them unless we took that into account. And so this is a way to get that information. It does make our model more complex in the sense that we have to do several steps to get these actual projections out, but they weren't right without it. So what do we do? We're stuck. Right, exactly. I think that this is the most... So wins, I think you've gotten it to a place where it's infor very informative. This, the saves, is still a, a cluster. I mean, it's just going to yeah. be a cluster because, it, I mean, who who saw Edwin Diaz doing what he did last year? I mean, I agree right. with that. And, and then even if you if you're trying to <laughs> predict what team is going to have a bunch of save opportunities. It's never the team that's the best team. It's never the team that's the worst team. It's always a team that's yes. in contention for most games yep. because, and it's really hard to predict. So, I mean, this is fine. This is going to be good. This is, this is great. This is, you this know, is great. Probabilistically speaking, it's the best we're going to do. And so the model also extends to the, the guys that are named next up. So, with the, I looked at the guys, like the save totals for the next up guys mm. and what they got. And so guys that are identified as being potentially in line or potentially guys for off day saves, they actually have some totals in here. There's lots of error. <laughs> of course. So there's just an incredible amount of uncertainty in both wins and saves. So please keep that in mind when you're looking at these. I added this other column here i'm curious what you think of this this is my internal overall value column and this is a stab at how do you rank pitchers versus batters and also how how big is the difference between first and second versus second and third third and fourth etc cetera, etc cetera, in terms of value whoa yeah this is wow Eddie Rosario ranked 16. Okay, Eddie that Rosario is messed up. I don't know what to do about him. It is. It, this is tied to his plate appearances, isn't it? Yes. So yeah. I have thought about there's there's a chance that we might just have to kill some plate appearances. Like we might have to we might want to manually tinker with some plate appearances where it's just like okay, I don't know. But that said, if you look at his actual numbers, we're we're forecasting him for 287 in average. That's a little high, I think. 24 home runs, maybe. 86 RB, 86 runs, 81 RBIs. That seems, I mean, that's like not outside the realm of possibility. And eight stolen bases. I mean, this is all, you're right. I mean, could he be, I mean, essentially, could he be a, could he get 32 home runs plus stolen bases? Absolutely. Yeah. Could he hit 287? I think that's probably the only and that's the only one that I would probably just all out just reduce. You have the error as the error's um, huge on all these. Yeah, you have it as zero you have it at forty one batting average points, which yeah. could put him down to oof. Two thirty. Forty two forty. Two two forty six, which yeah, I could see him batting two forty six. Right. And that would really set change his value yeah i mean oh, but interesting so the thing that i'll say about the way that this overall value system works is that it's it's based on a roto the roto principles so the idea mm -hmm. is compare 
Eddie Rosario to every other batter and see, okay, what are his, what's his relative contribution in each of the five scoring categories? And he comes out, he grades very evenly across all five. And so it, this is going to, this is going to play out five tool players. So yes. We found the same thing with the full war metric. Yes. So question here, you're averaging, right? So if there are 10 guys with yep. 0.287, they all, they, they all get the same. They value. all get five. Yeah. Right. Yes. Okay. So, okay. all right. So there's that. And then I do the same thing on the pitching side. And then the big assumption is that I scale the batting versus pitching to account for normal quote unquote roster construction as in the number of um, pitching spots versus hitting spots. So where you'd actually want to draft these guys based on value. Yeah. There are absolutely more permutations on, on the pitching than there's ever going to be on the hitting. Yeah, that's really true. I mean, this, I was going to mention this later, but just to say it now, I think this is a place where algorithms do have bias because yeah i'm following a a perfectly reasonable algorithm like i punched in numbers it is math but i decided what those numbers were (laughs) and so so i decided like i really am not comfortable with the first pitcher being a first round guy like max scherzer is valuable but would i draft him in the first round i i don't know well i mean you're gonna we're gonna find out. TGFBI. <laughs> we are gonna find when out. You get the number when you get the number ten pick. Don't say that. I'll probably get the fifteenth pick, which <laughs> which means that you have to go Scherzer and then like Scherzer Machado. Yep, that'd be fun. Uh, the thing that I like about this value curve is that in the roto, it recovers what looks like a traditional draft curve. So the, we've we've talked about this at length before pulling down the actual draft values from different fantasy uh, different fantasy projections. Namely, if you pull down ESPN's draft day values, they show a big upturn at the high value end, aka Mookie Betts is incredibly valuable. The difference between Mookie Betts and like Bryce Harper or Francisco Lindor is much, much, much larger than the difference between Eric Hosmer and Lorenzo Cain or something. Right. Oh yeah, no, exactly. In terms yeah, of there's... fantasy value. Yes. So the curve, the curve that's a pretty pretty good curve that you have for the overall value. So functional I, player I will say I was I'm actually I was actually pretty impressed considering that this that there there aren't that many assumptions that go into this. I think the overall distribution of the curve of value with a big exponential upturn and then basically linear value after player one hundred. I like that. I think for now, I'm actually just happy that we projected 500 guys. <laughs> yeah, this is pretty cool. This is a this is a giant step for tools kind. This may have already changed by the time you listen to this, but for the purposes of a bet box that we make later, here's our original conversation on Clay Buckholz. Oh, this one's totally wrong. You can't see what I'm highlighting right right now, but we're gonna have to deal with this. What is it? Clay Buckle, Clay Buckle. Yes, Clay Buckholz. No. <laughs> First of all, I highlighted him in in the outline, be, or yeah, because like, what is going on with the model and Clay Buckholz? I I don't have an answer for why he's ranked so well.
so we're sometimes stuck with some oddballs here because we're just doing pure numbers when we look at the projections. You're looking at this now, fresh eyes. I've stared at all these numbers for way too long. What is jumping out to you? <laughs> well, I've already mentioned a couple of them to you. Yeah. Eddie Rosario at 16 is a, a little bit crazy to me. I'm drafting More him because you're going to draft him there. Okay, good. Good thing <laughs> you're at. Um, Miles Mikolas at 27. I think that's wrong. Um, I saw Scooter Jeanette and Eugenio <sighs> Suarez. I feel like I get, I get it. Um, those are at 30, 32 respectively. Uh, I mean, could they fall in the top 50? Sure. I would, uh, I'm like concerned about that. Where's on the, um, the other direction, Nolan Arenado, you have a 21. And Jose Altuve, you have it 22. Yep. Um, would you draft Sander Bogarts, Eddie Rosario, above those two players? Um, no, I wouldn't. I, I mean, this is like this is the big problem with the thing that I said at the intro, which is the the numbers here. I mean, we're trying to make a model that simultaneously fits every single player we don't have a Mm -hmm. way to go in well i mean we're not i don't think we want to but we don't we don't we're not going in to tweak individual guys like would i go in and move jose altuve up like yes but also what which which statistic in there which number on jose altuve would you really move Mm, well probably the rbis that you have here 69 um yeah 69 and then you have 23 stolen bases i mean if you ticked up the average if you ticked up the rbis and ticked up the stolen bases that that ends up being a more attractive player but no i i get your point i mean we could go that's what um people who do this for a living are supposed to do is they're supposed to take the numbers and they're supposed to like you know we have these error bars and supposed to adjust within the error bars and let someone else then do the the valuation kind of right i guess we should say that like the ideal way to use these rankings if you're somebody looking at these is to figure out where you think they're going to fall within the error bars i mean i do you you can't well maybe i'll ask you do you think that jose altuve is going to fall outside of 61 to 78 rbis he could uh, he could get up to 80 yeah could right but i mean the whole idea of this is like central limit theory so i i think that he has a yeah the best shot of uh where he's gonna end up is gonna be within those area bars which i mean i recognize that's kind of disappointing i think you know one of the advantages here with this is that we are really looking at this completely dispassionately (laughs) so Right. I mean, I like. Do I really want Will Myers to be way higher than he is? Like, yeah, of of course I do. But do I have to deal with the fact that? Let's see, where did we actually put him? Do I have to deal with the fact that he's number one twenty one? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's just not. He's not realizing his full potential. Okay, so a few of the other players that you highlighted that um, 
that I had sort of seen as well, Josh Hader. It, it loves Josh Hader, which uh, I don't disagree with. But is Josh Hader your fourth most valuable relief pitcher? <laughs> I mean, it, Could be. Is Josh Hader more valuable than... Okay, here's where we have him in the rankings. If you scale these, we have Josh, Mer- we have Josh Hader and Whit Merrifield next to each other. The model likes yeah. well. If let's just stick to the pitching side, the model likes Josh Hader more than it likes James Paxton. I I like Josh Hader more than wow. James Paxton, and that's All right. I, I mean part of that is he's going to get. It says that he's going to get four wins and eight eight saves. But I think I mean, but I think I think that he could get more than that. <laughs> I do too. If he, I do too, I was hamstrung a little bit in those in those models. I mean, and hundred twenty eight strikeouts. With a sub two five ERA and sub one WHIP, I mean that's those are going to be valuable innings to whoever owns him. So I like that. I know. I think you know. I would say that he has the most range to move depending upon what pitching strategy you want to follow. Okay, you want to do a head to head. I'm I'm going to take Josh Hader over Clay Buckles. Ugh, you backed me into a corner because it's my model. <laughs> <laughs> so like, what am I gonna do here? Uh, sure, I'll take that. But we have to. But we have to. But 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 we have to evaluate them using the same valuation metric at the end of the year. That's fine. So I, at, what will happen is at the end of the year, I'll repump everybody through the through the the valuation calculator, and then whoever okay. comes out on top wins. Sure. All right. Let's do that. I kind of like so you've also got Giancarlo Stanton and Blake Snell at forty four forty five. I don't know. I think that's about right. I think uh, Giancarlo. I mean, I like him. He's had monster, monster years, but you're also just as likely to get a a down year from him. Well, let's say let's say we're at the negative side of his projections here. He hits two. 35 he hits 31 home runs yeah that would that would drive his value way down but i think those i think that's possible but could he also hit 47 home runs which is the top end of our distribution yes yeah right and that's our distribution that's one our air our air bars isn't that's one sigma results it's two sigma Three sigma. Results, ironically. Two sigma. Yeah. Okay. Ninety. It's, right. it's, I was shooting for the ninety percent confidence interval. That's. Oof. Yeah. No. I, <laughs> I think ninety percent of the time he's going to fall between thirty-one and forty-seven home runs. I. Yeah. I mean, sort of statistically speaking, how does he not? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. In Blake Snell, let's back it off. The uh, top twenty player. Sure. I'm in. No, I think this is interesting. I think that we've got a lot of good stuff here. We've got a lot of stuff that people are going to take a look at and be like, "No." I mean, but tell tell us who those players are. I mean, I can. I think the exercise that we went through with Clay Buckholz, where we walked through the ingredients of the model, because we basically, you know, our model is simple enough that we can describe it. You can look at the statistics and say, "Okay, here's why these certain things are happening," but it's complex enough that it picks up on some of the the more subtle aspects of this so if you don't like a player tell us who it is we'll try and tell you why the model did it or worst case scenario i have to change the model change the model yep yeah 
All right, you about ready to wrap this sucker up? What'd you think of the Super Bowl? I think that it was not interesting for more than one quarter. <laughs> Go ahead. Finish the bet out. Uh, what? I don't even remember what else. I think that the Patriots won, which was bad for me. And then I think that it's low scoring. So I think that I got two out of three. You I'm did. A little you did. It was it was an atrocious game for interest level and just so low scoring. Okay. I would even um the folks that are like, Well, this was a defensive battle. I don't agree with that. There's something to say about that, but it, it still wasn't an interesting defensive battle. You can have an interesting defensive battle where um which to me is like the Giants teams that I've enjoyed <laughs> over the years. Sure. The ones that sack a lot of players and then let up a 20-yard pass. I mean, those are fun. That's that's a fun defensive battle. And it's like, you know, in the teens. Less fun is the, like, everyone's getting held and, uh, like, off the line. And there's a whole lot of contact. And, and you know, coverage is great, sure. Like, if I was a DB... I'm sure I would have gotten my master's degree from just watching game footage of that. But I, I really need you really need to have Sue and, and um Donald be getting to Brady more for it to be an interesting defensive battle. Right. But the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Is this the most ambitious crossover in history? The Bud Knight and Game of Thrones? That was. I don't know who came up with it, who pitched it to who, yeah. but that was that was wild. Who did approach you? It has to be Bud approaching Game of Thrones. Like, what does Game of Thrones have to gain from partnering with them, from seeking them out? To nothing. Partner? Absolutely nothing. I, and it sort of seems like they said, "Yeah, the mountain's gonna win." And they were like, okay, but like, hear us out. Maybe we should have the, no, the the mountain's going to win. Do you think that Budweiser <laughs> end, ended up paying some of the CGI budget this year on Game of Thrones? Like, look, we'll render Drogon a couple extra times for you if you do this. <laughs> I don't want to get into like the tax situation <laughs> of how, who paid for what. Yeah, but probably. I mean, you know, from a, from an advertising standpoint, like, Let's be honest, nobody who drinks Bud Light and doesn't watch Game of Thrones saw that and was like, now I'm going to watch all seven seasons in preparation for April. <laughs> well, <laughs> but like a Game of Thrones yeah, exactly. a Game of Thrones watcher might think like, fine, I'll give Bud a try. Am I going to have a Bud Light during um <laughs> during the show? Maybe. It very funny because as the commercial was starting, I turned to him and I was like, just how many Bud Light commercials are we <laughs> going to get with this stupid thing? And then all of a sudden, it was the mountain and it was like, interesting. Yeah. And here we are. We just talked about it. We did. They got their money's worth, apparently. Yeah, out of us. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right, I think that about brings us to the review session. Wizard people, dear reader. Wow. What 
a quote-filled movie. It's impossible to overstate how many quotes we use from this movie regularly. And I think it's like even more than that. There are just like not words in our lexicon, the words maybe, but like um, deliveries of just (laughs) tiny um, micro quotes. I will never say the word denounce calmly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It's... I, sick sick bed is a is a phrase that I use it's now. True. <laughs> same scene. It's much this is a much more fun way to watch a movie that's almost twenty years old. Like Oh my gosh. Like, I yeah, feel you know, I feel even. obligated to watch Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, but it's a it's a fairly low rated movie in my Harry Potter power rankings of the movies. Very of the eight low. movies. I mean, yeah. I would say, you know, it's probably six, six or seven in as running down the eight movies. So this is a good it's way. Yeah. This is a good way to see everything on screen. I know everything that happens. I feel like I know the dialogue reasonably well of the actual movie. So give me something else mm-hmm. that I'm interested in. You know the story. You've read it a couple of different times. You know more from uh, J.K.R. Dogs than you're ever going to get from Chris Columbus. So, yeah, why not? Especially, it also takes it from being a kid's movie to being a adult movie. <laughs> that, that is really true because there is a real element. Unlike, you know, movies 7 and the second half of 7, which are unambiguously adult movies, You, this movie is a real kid movie. Right, exactly. No, it... <laughs> Seven was marketed towards us in the same way that one was marketed towards <laughs> yeah. us. And there was just 10 years in between yep. when those movies came out. Bingo. So this is great. Uh, I hope I hope Brad Neely is doing well, wherever he is, whatever he's up to. Wherever he is. Yeah, no, exactly. Is there one one piece that you want to... If, if what we think probably happened, which is that nobody watched it... Yeah. Um, is there a YouTube clip that people should go? Well, the clear, the clear in is the cribbage match. The cribbage match. I think that I think because that's because it's a relative non sequitur in the movie. You know, on on some level, like I guess yes, in terms of plot advancement, you get something from seeing Quirrell slash Queerman and Snape slash Snake doing the cursing, but. Yeah, you you're really fine without that because you really like they've already established Snake as a villain. So you know, watch that, and then you don't have to worry about anything else. Otherwise, I would definitely watch the Mirror of Irisad scene. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, that's what that was, I was just trying to the Mirror of Irisad, which is I think the Gate of Heaven or something <laughs> like that, Chapter Twenty Three. Oh my God, could it be? <laughs> <laughs> but the the beginning. I mean. I would also just watch the beginning because it starts out so well. Wait in the freaking car if he has to. Yeah, I know. There's some some really good ones. I, and like when, um, like it enter the, the train scene yeah, is probably a really good one as well. <laughs> Ron says that he's a pot of coffee by day, bottle of wine <laughs> by night type of guy. Harry says, "Triple that, and you got me." I mean. Kind of the way that we introduced each other to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we saw a little. We saw enough of ourselves in that scenario. 
What is our last movie? I think we have to do a Pixar movie. Oh. Which one? Let's let's end where it began. Toy Story. That's a great one. All right, time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Fantasy Tools, Mind the Z. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, Mind the Z. All I've got left is, we're select to you, buddy. We're select to you, too. Yeah!